You're listening to the Opportunity Zones and Private Equity Show. Listen in for news and insights on how Opportunity Zones, private equity funds, and private real estate can help you grow your wealth. Now, here's your host, Jimmy Atkinson. We are talking wealth development strategies with Opportunity Zones. Um, wealth development or building wealth with OZs uh, is kind of the unofficial theme of this year's OZ Pitch Day or this iteration of OZ Pitch Day. Uh, we had our opening keynote fireside chat with uh, Andy Higgins was all about building generational wealth with alts. Um, and we, we've had some wealth topics sprinkled throughout some of the presentations today as well. Uh, Taylor was just speaking about Starpoint properties and how their goal is to build generational wealth for their clients. Uh, Kirk, I wanted to actually start with you. There you are. Um, you and I have been talking for for some time, Kirk. We we met, um, I don't know, a year and a half back at, at a Novogratic event. Um, and you mentioned something interesting to me, and I kind of want to want your thoughts on it to kind of get the ball rolling here. You, you, you seem to believe that QOFs are probably the most efficient, the tax efficient way to hold real estate. And it has the potential to be like a super Roth. Can you explain what you mean by that to kind of get the, the ball rolling on the conversation today? Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, happy to join you guys. Great to be here today. Really enjoying the presentation so far. Uh, and that's a great question. Uh, I've been uh, beating the drum about how uh, there's a more efficient way to utilize the Opportunity Zone Fund for the ultra-wealthy. Uh, our background is running family office for our ultra-wealthy people, and I'm a tax lawyer and estate planning attorney by background, as well as the, managing the investments. And we utilize the Opportunity Zone Funds for our family office clients uh, at first, and then we've launched it for others when people heard me talk about this concept that you mentioned. The regulations allow for uh, reinvesting of cash flow from transactions on interim transactions inside the fund. And most Opportunity Zone funds are sending the money back to the investors. But if you're an ultra wealthy family, you may not need the cash and it might be more advantageous to take the money from the cash flow uh, and cash out refi events or even sale of a partial asset like a pad and excess land and reinvest that into more and more Opportunity Zone assets, like you would the dividends inside a Roth IRA on the stocks that you hold in your Roth IRA. You're not taking the dividend checks and sending them to your checking account where they're gonna be invested somewhere subject to tax. You reinvest them back inside the Roth IRA and keep them sheltered. The other way it's very like a Roth IRA is the long-term uh, time frame. Everyone knows that 10 years is the bare minimum that is needed to get the tax benefits but uh, for a Roth IRA, you can cash out your Roth IRA after a bare minimum of five years old and reaching age 59 and a half. But nobody cashes out their Roth IRAs at age 59 and a half with five years of ownership because uh, you can continue, unless you desperately need the cash, you can continue to increase uh, tax free growth inside the Roth IRA. Similarly, your Opportunity Zone Fund can continue to deliver uh, massive tax benefits after the 10 year mark. Uh, and the logic that applies today, whether it's better to put your money into a tax-efficient vehicle or in a taxable account, also applies 10 years from now, when you have the option to sell and remove it from a tax-sheltered vehicle and put it in a, in, back into a taxable account. And so our game plan is to try to find core assets that you would want to hold for a very long time in key markets 
uh, and then monetize them with a cash out refi rather than a liquidation, continue to benefit from the depreciation deductions, which are not subject to depreciation recapture. So you want to go as long as possible to maximize those benefits. I really feel like the Opportunity Zone Fund is maximized when you view it similar to uh, a Roth IRA. No, that's that, that's great. Uh, great way to start the conversation today, Kirk. And uh, by the way, for, gentlemen, forgive me, I forgot to introduce the three of you. So we join, joining the panel today are Brad Malotsky, partner at Dwayne Morris, Jerry Rison of Rison & Associates, and Kirk Walton is a uh, managing partner at GPWM Funds. Um, they are Opportunity Zone investment leaders that that I've been following uh, for quite some time. Um, Brad and Jerry, do you have any um, comments or follow up on what uh, Kirk just had to say? I agree. I think that Kirk's point, as usual, as always, uh, is spot on. <laughs> the The ability to generate money within the structure exists. The ability to utilize some other structuring relative to if you're thinking about investment tax credits can also be used to allow for cash flow to go to an investor um, and have the ITC shelter them and have depreciation shelter them for their normal cash flow that they would get that would be taxable. So it's a very, as some earlier have said, it's a very efficient way to invest, grow, sell. And you don't have to sell after 10 years in a day. You can, but you don't have to. So the ability to keep generating that cash flow and or retain it inside the vehicle provides for an interesting dynamic, in particular, when if you're not so IRR driven, uh, as some of you know Kirk clients will be, they will, they're not paying attention to IRR as much. They're looking for long-term appreciation. So again, I, I totally agree. And, and Jerry, let's bring you in here. What, what, are, what are your thoughts on how opportunity zones should be utilized in general to develop wealth. And if you have any other comments on, on what Brad and, uh, and Kirk had to say, please let us hear it. Sure. Well, Kirk and I have known each other for years now. And we first, our first discussion on a group we were participating in, we had after the group, where we both got somewhat orgiastic about the, what you could do with the opportunity zone and uh, investing and, uh, uh, you know, reinvesting forever. Frankly, you can reinvest beyond the term of the, the statute, which the IRS has said ends in 2047, which is somewhat controversial because the statute doesn't say that. In any event, I mean, you can cause a tax event in 2047 and continue on with a, uh, with a basis um, increase. Um, Kirk does, uh, I do, and I represent investment funds as opposed to having one. And I represent families and family offices, both in helping them place their qualified capital gains in enterprises like Kirk has, which is very consistent with my thinking, or their own self-directed opportunity zone vehicles, which can even be more advantageous. It can be more or less advantageous. Kirk runs a professionally organized and administered fund, uh, but he has all the controls. A family office or a family may want to have more controls of their own. And frankly, Sometime in the future, I may be going to Kirk and having selected um, of my self-directed uh, family, family office um, uh, QOFs merge into his funds. Um, and, and that's a big that's a big play in this place. If they get tired of managing their own investments, um, you can merge into Kirk's fund. You can merge as currently a, a public uh, real estate partnership QOF you can merge into and walk away with the uh, listed securities 
there's just so much you can do with this. It's frankly inexcusable for any person or family of means not to have not to be invested in QOF, and in particular, I believe, have their own self-directed Roth IRA on steroids type QOF. Totally agree, Jerry. I'd say friends don't let friends pay tax on capital gains. It is an absolute uh, atrocity when you see the uh, money that is uh, being wasted uh, unnecessarily. When you look at the depreciation deductions, uh, the ability to accelerate the depreciation deductions with cost segregation studies and qualified improvement properties, uh, it's, so, it's so much better than a 1031 exchange. Uh, it's so much better than you know just about any other type of vehicle that it the government created an uneven playing field with the regulations and it's true jerry and i when the regs i knew jerry as the regulations were coming out and we got the final regs and we're reading them right after they came out and we're like am i reading that right it really is uh, that way uh jerry's point about uh, you know individual opportunity zone funds that's our specialty and lately We've even partnered up with some families who have their own opportunity zone fund already and are looking for projects and have more cash than they ha uh, have projects. And we've created a couple of uh, unique solutions, I think, uh, for that situation where we're able to allow uh, existing QAFs with money access to our projects and our oversight and tap into our pipeline and our expertise in that area, while at the same time maintaining control over other projects that they self-manage. We've created that kind of a hybrid and worked very well, uh, you know, with that type of a structure, uh, which Don't I think is guys, unique in the space. Aren't you guys still surprised though? So everything I agree with what you just said, but um, when you think about, we're like five years into this thing and the, we, we swim in this pond. So we talk to people all day kind of about this stuff and, you know, we're geeks when it comes to kind of what this whole thing is all about. But there's a bunch of very smart people that own businesses, that have capital gains, that buy and sell real estate, that still, five years later, still really don't know what we're talking about. I mean, and it is befuddling to me that, you know, we have loud voices and we talk to a lot of people. And yet there's still a lot of people out there that really don't understand the very basics of what we're talking about. And, you know, Kirk, to your point, you know, friends are letting friends pay taxes. And so really despite the fact that Jimmy and others have done an amazing job of being online and being out and about, there's still a lot of people that still don't know about this program. And, you know, by the time they get in, it's almost like 2026 already. So it's, it's really yeah. mystifying. And I had, you, a, I, I had a client. I, go ahead. No, I feel bad for the CPA out there. There's gotta be some CPA out there who hears about this and talks to a client and uh, they sold their business and they triggered a massive capital gain. Oh, you can do this opportunity zone fund. When did it happen? Seven months ago, ago. you know, like that story is gonna happen somewhere. Yeah. And I feel like it word to the wise, to the uh, tax professionals, the advisors, the CPAs, the estate planning attorneys, get in front of your clients and notify them about this opportunity long before they get into the transaction because you're gonna, there's gonna be somebody out there who's gonna miss the boat and it's gonna be really tragic. 100%. I had a client who actually decided not to invest because, oh, it's not fair that I'm not getting the small step up in basis that is expired on my, um, on, on my uh, capital gains that I'm gonna invest in the QOF. I mean, the fact, the fact of the matter is I've given up trying to convince people. Um, Don't if give up. If they're too, 
mentally deficient to understand once I've gone through it with them once or twice, right? I, uh, and I, I did a podcast, the, the title of which was more than 90% of CPAs, transactional attorneys, wealth advisors, chief, operate, chief investment officers are committing malpractice by not thoroughly understanding uh, the obtuse zone statute. They don't have to know the details of how to do it. There are plenty of people out there. On the other hand, I don't know how I could handle more work. So there's only so uh, much I Jerry to go around. I understand right? the complexity and why, you know, something that's new and something that's uh, complicated when you first look at it, that can be overwhelming to some people. When you're dealing with a transaction that involves a significant life event, the sale of the family business, for example, you know, when you're dealing in eight, nine figure numbers, uh, you can get deer in the headlights. You also have advisors uh, who have their own self-interest, and it's really hard for the conventional investment advisor to uh, make money off an opportunity zone investment. And so um, th there's not really an incentive for most investment advisors to talk I, to their clients. I, about I find M&A lawyers who only have to mention it and they can generate another 20 or $30,000 uh, in legal fees still don't mention it. Same yeah, with CPAs. Jerry, keep that, you're you're keep right. That under your head, advisors. Jerry, but to tell you the truth, the wealth, I mean, I don't know what to tell you guys, man. It's a uh, yeah, Keep that transactional you. lawyer point under your hat. You don't need to tell anybody that. That's where, yeah. you know, others are running around and, and making it. Let, let me mention one point, one other point that I think is uh, often overlooked for the ultra wealthy. Uh, and that is how the Opportunity Zone Fund creates uh, almost the perfect uh, vehicle and asset class for uh, long-term wealth generation for uh, a gift trust or uh, a grantor trust, an intentionally defective grantor trust, where it's illiquid, which is uh, advantageous when you're talking about assets that are going to the downline generations. Uh, it provides long-term uh, growth. It, it continues to appreciate tax-free, even if the parent generation passes away. Um, and uh, the tax benefits, uh, the, the tax bill, if it comes back, is will reduce the parent's estate. But all the growth, all the appreciation, all the uh, rent and income are going to escape estate tax, gift tax, uh, and generation skipping transfer tax, potentially. If set up right, and and, uh, and it passes through probate at what you invested in, yeah. not at the uh, increased value. Not, yeah, it's uh, an absolute game changer when you run the numbers for a long-term super Roth type strategy hold on an ultra well, wealthy other, family setting it up in a, a grantor trust for the kids. Kirk, the other thing I try to tell my these clients is that there's almost no there's well there's no downside in setting it up. It's so it's not very expensive to set these things up. Um, if you don't know what you're going to invest in, we can give a runway of about four or five years before they have to figure out what to do with it. And meanwhile, that ten year clock is ticking most of that time. That's right. The ten year clock uh, starts when the cash goes into your opportunity zone fund, not when the Opportunity Zone Fund puts money into the project or the QOZB. And that's important to remember because if you are looking at a shorter term, there's nothing stopping you from selling at 10 years. If that's the right time in the marketplace or if that's the right time for your family to sell one or two or whatever, all if, if that whatever is the best interest of the client, you'll have the flexibility to do that at the 10-year mark if that makes sense. 
but you won't be on a train that's only going to go to, you know, 10 years and then stop. You'll have the flexibility to continue if that makes more sense. And who knows what the future brings. But and when you reinvest cash flow into another project, you know, let's say you start a project now, you could reinvest the cash flow from the cash out refi in two years. And that project, you would only own eight years, you know, and, 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 and if you, you set it still up sell. and you don't know exactly what you're going to do. The, the, the worst things happen is you defer taxation for one, two, three years out, and you can collapse it and pay your tax if you wish. Um, yeah, you know, I had a client. I, I had a client whose 180 day clock was uh, running out, and they had 40 million in gain. And they were thinking about doing about 25, 30 million in the fund and putting 10 or 15 in, somewhere else. Uh, and I said, "Look, let's just keep your window open." And so they dropped all 40 into the Opportunity Zone fund. Uh, and they just held it in cash and that bought you for them. It bought them nine months uh, based on where they were in the calendar. Uh, and over those nine months, they ended up keeping it all in. In fact, they've reinvested the cash flow from the projects that have come back. So uh, it is important to recognize how you can, you know, daisy chain the timelines, your 180 day from the gain event and all the flexibility you get with that from the March 15th, if it's a K1 to December 31st, if it's an installment sale to, you know, you can daisy chain that out. And then your quaff has between six months and a day or a, a day less than a year uh, before it has to drop it. And then the QOZB has another 30 months to come up with a plan for how to spend it. So you can really stretch this out in a conservative fashion and dial the needle really conservatively. Or if you're more aggressive, you can dial the needle more aggressively. That's where the flexibility, I love this program because Congress got out of the way and gave us something incredibly flexible. And that's a massive benefit to the investors. Well, gentlemen, well, people, I, wanted to, I wanted to step, wanted to step okay, in go here. We got a couple of questions um, in the chat, not following the conflict of, of interest uh, topic here. Or, or Brad, I guess you mentioned you weren't following the top conflict of interest. Um, topic, but uh, there was a question about, is there a conflict of interest for M&A attorneys and CPAs that investors should know about? I don't, I don't remember which one of you mentioned. No, that. so that's what I was trying to allude to. I'm not yeah. following where what the question was relative to the fact that an M&A lawyer would raise to his client or her client that there is a program for purposes of when you sell a company or when you merge and you have capital gain. There's no conflict there uh, relative to it's the depends on who the client is. Is it the individual or is it the company? Maybe that's what they're referring to. But I'm not seeing that as a gating issue vis-a-vis. What we're really talking about is, does an individual, does an entity have gain that's eligible for purposes of OZ? If they do, to Jerry's original point, you know, he's a little tongue-in-cheek, but it's real. It's almost malpractice relative to the amount of people that are not talking about this to their clients so that their clients can prepare, think about it, reject it if they want, but give them the facts so that they can make an informed decision. There's just let me, there's not a lot of that conversation going on. That's let, let me say you know, something about the deferral. People underestimate the value of the deferral. I have a yeah. client that um, is in California, had about $50 million in capital gains. And in California, the solar rooftop investing is very lucrative, but it's not got a lot of marketplace um, throughput. So he created we created QOF for him and you can get a one-for-one one tax credit almost because you get the value of the project, 70% of which might be debt, right? So um, so whenever he sees a project he wants to invest in, 
he just spits out some of his capital gains, incurs a tax event, applies the tax credit to it, and he has a free income stream at a very nice number. If he finds the deal in an opportunity zone, he'll leave it in the structure. If not, so, and again, you don't have any flexibility or opportunities if you haven't set this up. Great point, That's Jerry. Right. Hey. So it's all about keeping that option on the table for the client. You don't have to advise them to do it, but so few people know about this. You need to at least uh, get informed enough if you're in that space and mention it to them uh, and put them in touch with any of us. You know, we're all passionate about it and care about the best interest of the client. That's the reason all of us are in this space. I wanted to see if we could zoom out for a second, cover uh, maybe a, a more basic, uh, broader point. Um, wh what about asset classes, gentlemen? I'm curious your take, which asset classes have the most potential for opportunity zones within the opportunity zone structure, given OZ's bent toward capital gains and appreciation? Uh, I'll take a shot at the, the, so, and I'll twist the question a little bit, Jimmy. I, I think that it. you're seeing a lot of deals in the multifamily space because it's relatively easy. It's pretty middle of the fairway, find good rents, find good returns in decent markets. And it's relatively easy to do. Um, we're seeing a bunch of deals in warehouse as well. Similar, you know, topics, similar deliverable, better cap rates for all intents and purposes, even despite Amazon's pullback and in cold storage. So those three areas, warehouse, storage, and multifamily are kind of the easy ones. Where I see, you know, others are, are, are you know, to our earlier conversation, people have still not focused on, I talked about this all the time with clients and they hear me and they get it, but they don't really move there. It's any cash stream that's being delivered from a particular project has the potential to be OZ eligible. And can take off. So think about a property. It doesn't have to be real estate, but think about like in a property, you've got all kinds of stuff going on. You've got painting and carpeting and HVAC maintenance and glass cleaning and landscaping and property management and leasing. Each one of those things has the ability to derive revenue. If we can create NOI revenue over a period of time, enter into like a non-cancelable contract in year nine for 10 years, then you have something to sell. If you've got mm -hmm. something to sell and you structure it the right way, that ability to create non-taxed sale proceeds is magic. And that's yeah. people really haven't gotten there yet. We've done some prop go op go deals where, you know, you're building the project and then you're putting an operation in, but they really haven't started to really think through yet, which we're running out of time here. Um, those operating revenue streams, I think, well, you know, that's where some magic is. We're looking at classic car investment, whiskey investment. Sure. Um, and, and we think we can get these structured. We're pretty far down the line on them. Um, and, there, and so asset classes are not just, for, as far as tangible asset classes go, it's not just real estate. And everybody's missing the boat on operating companies. When we've got a whole process where you set up as an opportunity zone company, the founders can, can do that. And as you grow, you can switch to your operating company to be a corporation and 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 have twelve oh two investors yeah. uh, and on the venture side. So yeah, that's why you don't see too many uh, tech startups uh, in the opportunities on space. And that's my background is tech startups. You know, you've got the qualified small business stock provisions, section twelve oh two gives you ten million per investor, tax free gain, no geographic limitations, and only a five year hold. So that's you know better. But you can actually double stack. So there's nothing wrong with doing both. Right. Uh, with respect to asset classes, you know. Uh, I've been championing 
uh, rehab over new construction for a long time. And that's because we have a qualified improvement property on the books right now, which is eligible for bonus depreciation. It has nothing to do with the opportunity zone tax law per se, but it works really well together. Qualified improvement property is an extra deduction you can take for the cost to improve the interior space of an existing building that is treated for commercial purposes. And we have uh, a lot of projects that fit this bill that'll be commercial in theory, because the test for whether it's commercial or not is 20% of the rents from commercial tenants. So we can have like our Reno project that I've talked about a few times. It has you know, a bunch of restaurants, retail, office uh, on the ground floor, but then it's got almost a thousand hotel rooms and three towers that we are converting to apartments. And, you know, our play is about the apartments there, but it'll be classified as a commercial asset. Uh, most of the expenses, we have a $200 million budget, about 65 million in cash, 140 million in construction debt. Uh, most of those expenses are going to be eligible for bonus depreciation and QIP, uh, which last year you could take 100% of the stuff we placed in service. Our Starbucks is open and things like that. We placed in service some of the space in uh, 2022. We're able to take 100% of those improvement costs. Uh, and in 2023, we're able to take 80% uh, as in a bonus depreciation plus whatever the depreciation is on the leftover 20%. So it's an enormous advantage where we're able to generate passive losses on the K-1s that flow out to the investors in excess of the cash going into the deal, the capital gain going into the deal. So especially for those investors selling a passive real estate asset, the opportunity zone fund is even further juiced on steroids. Uh, it's insane. You Someone asked Kurt. a question about whether they can invest outside their state. Let me do mention something we've done. So California, New York, Mississippi, can't remember the other ones that don't follow the, the Opportunity Zone program with regard to state law. We have made arrangements so that a party preparing to make a capital investment puts that investment in a pass-through partnership in Texas, let's say, and then invest in an Opportunity Zone fund through that entity. Now that entity will never get the gains. And so it'll never hit their California personal yeah. income tax. So you've made it work for yeah. uh, a person. So yes, you can invest outside of your state. And if you're in California, you better. <laughs> I, I, I would just add to that, Jimmy that, or, and Jerry, that to Kirk's point on, just, just a reminder, most folks on the call probably know this, but as a reminder, the OZ benefit is stackable with other benefits. It's not one or the other. And so being able to juice a return, the OZ is awesome, but you can add to that historic tax credits if that's relevant. You can add to that new markets if that's relevant. We've started to play with and have worked through CPACE, so commercialized PACE, uh, which is a whole other conversation from a, as a lending source that's off-bill financing on your real estate taxes. Not available in every state, but 32 states have that. We talked a bit about you know solar and the ability of solar or wind to use ITC, the investment tax credit that's federal to offset some unused depreciation, to offset your current income. And then we've got kind of stuff that's in the Inflation Reduction Act that, again, irrespective of OZ, but it just juices OZ to sort of say, look, we're adaptively reusing and we're going to use 179D to deal with energy efficiency upgrades in a building, lights, plugs, HVAC, glass. 
and get five bucks a square foot just for the fact that you're going to do it anyway. You know, you're going to build to code or a little bit better. That stuff exists. You just need to marry it with the power of the OZ and it just, you know, supercharges it. It's not as good as the, the super Roth IRA analogy, but it well, when you can put all of them together in yeah, one exactly. wrapper, yeah. why not? Especially exactly. if you consider the ultra wealthy are going to own real estate as part of an asset class in their overall portfolio for you know, years and years and years. It's a common asset class to have a significant slice allocated to. And then when you go to, okay, opportunity zones cover 16% or something like that of the surface area of the country. They're literally everywhere in areas that you would want to invest anyway. So when you distill it to its core, this is the way to own the real estate you're going to already own anyway. And when you look at the disparity of the returns in a zone, out of the opportunity zone, you're going to own real estate anyway. I can find you a project that's in an opportunity zone comparable to any project you would otherwise own. And you know, by the way, once you've held is... that vehicle for 10 years, you can start flipping properties or whatnot. You, the holding point of the property becomes irrelevant. Everybody should have their own self-directed QOF. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And some of it can go into a, a, a commingled fund, whatever. But it's just, I don't know what to say. All right. Well, gentlemen, we've only got we've only got about 90 seconds left. So I'm going to give each of you 30 seconds. Try to stick to that. Um, <laughs> best practices to develop wealth with opportunity zones. What's the what's like the the number one point or step that wealthy individuals, family offices should be taking with regards to building wealth with OZs? Uh, Brad, I'll start with you. Uh, so it's been mentioned before on the other panels, so people were missing. Solid developer that's done it before, over and over and over again. Not the first rodeo, not the second, but that they know what the hell they're doing. They've done it before. They can show you kind of what they've done and where they've done it. And when problems come up, which they ultimately always will, they've, they know how to handle it. It's not like, oh, my God, the sky's falling. Costs are going up and interest rates are going up. Well, no, duh. That stuff happens occasionally you know, throughout the life cycle of these projects. And so, again, my one takeaway would be make sure you understand who you're investing with and make sure they've done this over and over and over again. Jerry, how about you? I'd say uh, two things. One, Brad's point, don't forget you do, do your due diligence, which we do a lot of. I have my own investment platform, and I often work with independent due diligence firms as well. And as to a captive vehicle, remember, you don't have to just use qualified capital gains. You can loan yourself money. Um, you can create a portfolio large enough so you can invest in many things outside of opportunity zones that don't qualify as opportunity zone assets. Um, build that portfolio as big as possible for as long as possible and have the flexibility if you need to, to get out after 10 years or to have some, get out with some. But uh, that my don't just limit yourself to your capital gains. And Kirk, we'll leave you with a final word. Uh, two th two points. One, friends don't friends pay tax on capital gains. It is atrocious if you have a capital gain event and you don't seriously take a look at this. Two, uh, the opportunity zone regulations are complicated. These are treacherous waters and there are ways that people can slip up and uh, the consequences can be draconian. So you don't want to sail through these waters without an experienced guide. Um, so those are my takeaways. Find somebody who really knows the space and is passionate about the space that can help you navigate through that. I'm, I love talking about this. I can't stop talking about it. Jerry's the same way. Bob's, you know, just call one of us and pick our brains. We're happy to chat. Uh, we're all in that mindset of we want to help people avoid the capital gain. And even if you don't invest with us, 
I want to help people and that's why I'm in the space. It just makes me sad to see dollars wasted when there's so much benefit to be had through the opportunities on fun. Well, absolutely. Terrific insights from all three of you today, Brad Malotsky, Jerry Rison, Kirk Walton. Thank you so much for participating today. Really appreciate your insights. This has been an incredible panel. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, guys. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back soon with another episode.